I just don't know what to do. What do you mean? Like, what do we say? I don't know. Introduce yourself. You introduce yourself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We're on. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. You did not say hi. Oh, sorry. Try times in. and story times. Try in. Hello. I think we did it backwards anyway. No, I start out this episode. Yeah, you say true crimes and story times. Yeah. No, you say welcome to our podcast. You say hello. I say hello. You say welcome to our podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. I say true crimes and story times. I'm Michelle. I'm hey, Kirsten. you're screaming into the mic again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was speaking on purpose. Hold on. <coughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, try again. Hello. Hello. Welcome to our podcast. True Crimes and Story Times. I'm Michelle. And I'm Kirsten. And today is my true crime episode. That's better. There we go. Third time's a charm. Yep. That was only the second. But okay. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. Oh, shit. Alright. Well, the episode I'm doing today, this is a two-parter. So today is just part one. Two parter. Next week is part two. And in honor of Valentine's Day and very toxic relationships. Very toxic relationships. We're going to be covering Bonnie and Clyde. The infamous Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're almost so infamous that not a lot of people do like podcasts or anything on them. I've seen several. Have you? Yep. I have not. Mm-hmm. It's just like... I feel like a lot of people see Bonnie and Clyde as, like, this iconic couple. Mm-hmm. But their relationship is actually really, really toxic. Yeah. I really don't know much about, like, them as a couple. I don't think anybody really knows much about them as a couple in mm-hmm. general. But if you think about it. And I really didn't know. I really don't. They're on the run murdering people. So yeah. their relationship probably has way more toxicity that we even know about. Yeah. The only, the only stuff that I really know is from the movie The Highwaymen. <laughs> Which is about them. Mm-hmm. But, like, even before I watched that movie, I didn't really know who Bonnie and Clyde were. Hmm. So, this will be interesting. Because, I, I mean, I know, obviously, I know who Bonnie and Clyde are now. Yeah. And, like, some of the story. But I don't know much about them. So, gotcha. this will be interesting. All, All right. news for me. Let's start out. All right. We're going to start with Bonnie. So, Bonnie Elizabeth Parker was born on October 1st of 1910 in Rowena, Texas. She was a middle child. Her father, Charles Robert Parker, was a bricklayer, but he died when Bonnie was four years old. Hmm. Her mother, Emma Parker, moved her family back to her parents' home in Cement City. And this city was an industrial suburb in West Dallas, so in Texas. (laughs) And there she worked as a seamstress. As an adult, Bonnie wrote poems such as the story of Suicide Sal, The Trail's End, and the story of Bonnie and Clyde. Hmm. This is later on. Gotcha. Um, in her second year in high school, Bonnie met a born... A born? Hold a on. A born? <coughs> Dude, those jello things made me have, like... Yikes. I do not like. Did you hear that? When I breathe in. Mm-hmm. <sighs> okay. <coughs> Last one. In her second year in high school, Bonnie met a boy named Roy Thornton. 
Bonnie and Roy dropped out of school and decided to get married. And they married on September 25th of 1926. And this was six days before Bonnie's 16th birthday. She got married when she was 15? Yes, she did. Dang. So their marriage was basically destroyed by his many absences and his trouble with the law. Yikes. Um, The marriage didn't last long, but they never divorced. And they never saw each other again after January of 1929. Dang. But a fun fact, she was still wearing his wedding ring when she died. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. His wedding ring. Yeah. Like Not the, hers. No, like the wedding ring that he gave her. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, okay, I got you. Because her and Clyde never got married. They were just together. Yeah. Gotcha. Roy was in prison when he heard of her death. He commented, quote, I'm glad they jumped out like they did. It's much better than being caught. Yikes. Glad that they died? Yikes. Well, he's glad that they went out like they did. Not yeah, glad that they died. Not he's glad they didn't get caught yeah he's glad that they got killed instantly and not like yeah sentenced to five years for robbery in 1933 and after attempting several prison breaks from other facilities roy was killed while trying to escape from the huntsville state prison on october 3rd of 1937 man after her marriage was over bonnie moved back in with her mom she decided to work as a waitress in dallas one of her regular customers was postal worker ted hinton In 1932, he joined the Dallas Sheriff's Department. He would eventually serve as a member of the posse that killed Bonnie and Clyde. Gotcha. Trigger, or trigger warning? I was about to say, not trigger warning. I can't think of what it's called. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. They're dead, obviously. Yeah, we already said that. Yeah. Bonnie briefly kept a diary early in 1929, and at this time she was just 18. She wrote of her loneliness, her impatience with life in Dallas, and her love of taking pictures. Clyde Chestnut Barrow was born on March 24th of 1909. He was born into a poor farming family. This was in Ellis County, Texas, which is southeast of Dallas. He was the fifth of seven children. Wow. His father was Henry Basil Barrow and mother, Cumi Talitha Walker. The family moved to Dallas in the early 1920s, and this was a part of a migration pattern from rural areas to the city where many settled in the urban slum of West Dallas. The Barrow spent their first months in West Dallas living under their wagon until they got enough money to buy a tent. Wow. Clyde was first arrested in late 1926 when he was 17. He ran when police confronted him over a rental car that he had failed to return on time. His second arrest was with his brother, Buck, soon after perposition for possession of stolen turkeys. Hmm. Interesting, right? Stolen turkeys. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Surprisingly, Clyde did have some legit jobs during 1927 through 1929. He also cracked safes, robbed stores, and stole cars. So he was just doing all kinds of things. Mm Mm-hmm. Bonnie and Clyde met on January 5th of 1930. He was at the home of Clyde's friend, Clarence Clay. This was at 105 Herber Street in the neighborhood of West Dallas. Clyde was 20 years old and Bonnie was 19. Bonnie couldn't work and she was staying with a female friend. And at this time, she needed help during her recovery from a broken arm. So Clyde dropped by the girl's house while Bonnie was in the kitchen making hot chocolate and they connected immediately. 
Most historians believe that Bonnie joined Clyde because she fell in love with him. Mm-hmm. The Romans had a brief pause when Clyde was arrested and convicted of auto theft. Clyde was sent to East Ham Prison Farm in April of 1930. He was 21 years old. He escaped shortly after his arrest using a weapon that Bonnie smuggled to him. So she helped break him out of jail. Mm-hmm. He was recaptured shortly after and sent back to prison, though. Of course. <clears throat> Clyde was repeatedly sexually assaulted while in prison. Yikes. He retaliated by attacking and killing his tormentor with a pipe, crushing his skull. Oof. And this was his first kill ever. And this is going to just spiral into everything else. Mm-hmm. Another inmate who was already serving a life sentence claimed responsibility. In order to avoid hard labor in the fields, Clyde purposely had two of his toes chopped off in January 1932. Ooh. Um, people don't really know, but it was either by another inmate or by himself. That chopped his toes off? Yep. And because of this, he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Mm. I do know that that is a big part in the story. That he walked with a limp? Mm Mm-hmm. At least in the movie it was. Yeah, it's not really... A huge part because, of Because, like, when they were trying to catch him, mm-hmm. they saw, like, her heel prints in the dirt, and they saw other footprints with one of his feet dragging. Oh, cool. Yep. It, it didn't say anything about that in my research. Really? Yeah. Well, that was in the movie. Uh, well, I don't know how <coughs> accurate it is, mm-hmm. but it makes sense. Yeah. Clyde was set free six days after his intentional injury. So, he basically did it for nothing. Right. Clyde's mother had successfully petitioned for his release. He was paroled on February 2nd of 1932. His sister Marie said, quote, something awful sure must have happened to him in prison because he wasn't the same person when he got out, end quote. Fellow inmate Ralph Foltz said that he watched Clyde change from a schoolboy to a rattlesnake. Wow. So it just went downhill real mm-hmm. fast. After his release, Clyde robbed grocery stores and gas stations at a rate far outpacing the 10 or so bank robberies attributed to him and the Barrow gang. So now we're going to go into that. Gotcha. The Barrow Gang was an American gang active between 1932 and 1934. They were all well-known outlaws, robbers, murderers, and criminals who as a gang traveled the central United States during the Great Depression. Their exploits were known all over the nation. They captured the attention of the American press and its readership during what is sometimes referred to as, quote, public enemy area, end quote. So they're going through doing this during the Great Depression where mm-hmm. it's all like society is already down and bad and yeah. struggling. So they're yeah. just they're robbing people, murdering people to get whatever they need. Right. Though the gang was notorious for the bank robberies they committed, they preferred to rob small stores or gas stations over banks. The gang was believed to have killed at least 9 police officers among several other murders. Wow. The gang was best known for its two members or for two of its members. Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow. So Bonnie was a part of the gang as well. Yeah, gotcha. Clyde Barrow was the leader. Other members included Clyde's older brother, Marvin, or Buck, is how we're going to refer to him for the rest of the episode, Barrow. Buck Barrow's wife, Blanche Barrow, W.D. Jones, Henry Methven, Raymond Hamilton, Joe Palmer, Ralph Fultz, and S.J. Watley. So we're going to go to 1932 and talk about some of their robberies and murderers. Um, I will be adding pictures so, um, on the social media pages and stuff after this 
whenever this uh, is released. So look out for that. But for the time being, Kirsten and I added pictures. Gotcha, gotcha. I see that. That's her picture with her cigar in her mouth. It's one of the most infamous pictures. I've never seen that picture before. Really? Mm-hmm. And then I don't mean to say this in a bad way, but she really ain't as pretty as I imagined her to be. I thought she'd be yeah. like this really beautiful, like Marilyn Monroe type, you know. I mean, she's not bad looking. I mean, she's a gangster. Yeah. In the Great Depression. But the way that society has made it to be, I thought Bonnie and Clyde was this like star couple, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Really both like good looking. You know, right. But she really ain't. So February 1932, after Clyde was released from prison, he and Ralph began a series of robberies. It was mainly stores and gas stations. Their goal was to collect enough money and firepower to raid East Ham Prison, where Clyde was kept and abused. Gotcha. On April 19th of 1932, Bonnie and Ralph were captured at a hardware store burglary in Kaufman, Texas. The robbery failed, but they were hoping to steal firearms. Bonnie was released from jail in a few months. The grand jury failed to indict her. Ralph, on the other hand, was tried, convicted, and served time, and he never rejoined the gang after that. On April 30th, 1932, Clyde was the getaway driver in a robbery in Hillsboro, Texas. Unfortunately, the store owner, J.N. Butcher, was shot and killed. J.N.'s wife identified Clyde from police photographs as one of the shooters, even though he had stayed inside the car. Oh. Yep. So they saw him in the car window, and she could identify him immediately. Mm-hmm. So, oh. Also, Bonnie wrote poetry to pass the time in jail. The poems you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And um, she reunited with Clyde within a few weeks of her release from the Kaufman County Jail. On August 5th, Clyde, Raymond Hamilton, and Ross Dyer were drinking moonshine at a country dance in Stringtown, Oklahoma. Sheriff C.G. Maxwell and Deputy Eugene Seymour approached them in the parking lot. Clyde and Raymond opened fire, and they killed the Deputy Eugene and wounded C.G. Maxwell pretty badly. Yikes. Deputy Eugene was the first law officer Barrow and his gang killed. So. And in the end, they murdered nine, which wow. we talked about before. Yeah. On October 11th, 1932, they allegedly killed Howard Hall at a store during a robbery in Sherman, Texas, but historians consider this very unlikely. It didn't exactly say why, but. That, they don't think they, they killed him? No. They don't, historians don't think that Bonnie or, and the Barrow gang killed Howard this Hall. man, yeah. Gotcha. W.D. Jones had been a friend of Clyde since childhood, and his family as well. Mm-hmm. He joined Bonnie and Clyde on Christmas Eve 1932 at the age of 16, oh. and the three left Dallas that night. The next day, which happened to be Christmas Day of that year, W.D. Jones and Clyde murdered Doyle Johnson while stealing his car in Temple, Texas. Wow. He was a young family man. Clyde killed Tarrant County Deputy Malcolm Davis on January 6th of 1933. And Bonnie, Clyde, and W.D. Jones wandered into a police trap set for another criminal at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, the gang had murdered five people since April. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. Oh, they killed him because they wandered into the police trap, by the way. I kind of had that backwards. Oh, the deputy. Yeah, they killed the deputy because they wandered into the police trap. Mm -hmm. My bad. That's okay. 
Um, on March 22nd, 1933, Clyde's brother Buck was granted a full pardon and released from prison. Him and his wife Blanche set up housekeeping with Bonnie, Clyde, and Jones in a temporary hideout at 3347 and a half Oakridge Drive in Joplin, Missouri. And a half? And here's a picture of mm-hmm. the hideout. Yeah. Um, it just looks like a garage. It really. does. I think it's a garage, like, on the bottom, and then on the top, it's like an apartment. Gotcha. According to family sources, Buck and Blanche were there to visit, and they attempted to persuade Clyde to surrender to law enforcement. Was he going to do that? Hell no. Hell to the no. So, the group ran loud alcohol. Alcohol. The group ran loud alcohol. I'm telling you, today is a rough day for both of us. Erkaher. <laughs> you want to drink some Erkaher after this? Kind of. I'm just kidding. I need after a drink. The, after the way this is going, I need a couple drinks. Me too. The group ran loud. Erkaher. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the group ran loud alcohol feud card games late into the night. You said feud. <laughs> <laughs> you did not put the L in there. Feud. Ekeher feud. Ekeher feud. <laughs> Try again. Ekeher feud. Gotcha. The group ran loud alcohol-fueled card games into the night. Blanche recalled that they bought a case of beer a day. Which really isn't a lot For considering one, how two, many people three, are drinking four. it. Yeah, that's six people. And a case is 24, so that's three beers apiece. Four beers apiece. I mean every day, though. That's a, a day. Lot. The men came and went noisily at all hours. Clyde accidentally fired a bar into the apartment while cleaning it. I was getting ready to ask you what a bar was, but I yep. see you have the definition. I put the description. So a bar is a long rod or rigid piece of wood, metal, or similar material, typically used as an obstruction, fastening, or weapon. Gotcha. So no neighbors went to the house, but one reported suspicions to the Joplin Police Department. On April 13th, the police assembled a five-man force in two cars to confront what they suspected were bootleggers living in the garage apartment. Little did they know it was not bootleggers. Twist. The Barrow brothers, Clyde and Buck, and W.D. Jones opened fire. They killed Detective Harry L. McGinnis and Constable J.W. Harriman. Bonnie opened fire with a bar as the crew fled. This forced Highway Patrol Sergeant G.B. Collar to duck behind a large oak tree. The 30 caliber bullets from the bar struck the tree and forced wood splinters into the sergeant's face. Oof. Yeah. Bonnie got into the car. Dang, that was loud. I said, Bonnie got into the Bonnie got into the car. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. Bonnie got into the car with everyone, and they pulled in Blanche from the street where she was pursuing her dog, Snowball. Snowball. Cute name. Mm-hmm. Wait, isn't that what the dog's name is on Rick and Morty that, like, transforms into that robot? Have you even seen that? You don't even know what I'm talking about I don't even know what I'm right talking now. about. Rick and Morty's not my thing. Sorry. You just refuse to watch it. Pretty much. You just... You say things aren't your thing, but then you just refuse to watch them. I just, I've watched Rick and Morty. I just don't understand the comedy in Rick and Morty. It's dark humor. That's why I don't understand why you don't like it. I don't know. Have you really watched it, though? How much have you really watched? Not much. Exactly. You need to watch, watch. Okay. Like, for real. 
I'm making you agree before you leave this oh. conversation. Okay. I will watch, watch. You better. Rick and Morty. <laughs> Anywho, the surviving officers later testified that they had fired only 14 rounds. One hit, Only? Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. One hit W.D. Jones on the side. One struck Clyde, but it was deflected by his suit coat button. Wow. Yeah. And one grazed Buck after ricocheting off a wall. So how the hell did his suit coat button deflect a bullet? I don't... That's crazy. Must be made of fucking steel or something. I guess. I mean, it could have been a metal button. I don't know if they had plastic buttons in that time. I don't know. But for it to be... You hit him right on the button. Mm-hmm. That's right crazy. Right on the button. W.D. Jones committed two murders in his first two weeks with Clyde at age 16. Wow. The cut-down shotgun is one of his whip-it guns, which I literally tried to look up what that means everywhere, and I could not find it. So whip if you it? know what it means, email us. Whip-it guns? Yeah. Whip-it. Cut-down. I don't know. I really don't know either. I'm about to look it up. See if I can find something. What I'm telling you. I looked it up. Does. What is a... How do you spell it? Whip-it? Yeah, I already tried. Good luck. It looks like there aren't many great matches for your search. Yeah, see, I told you. What the fuck? Maybe it just... Well, it's a cut-down shotgun. It says the cut-down shotgun is one of his whippet guns. So maybe that just means, like... Well, what does that mean, though? It's describing the cut-down shotgun. Mm. So that's why I'm like... that can't. I saw that, but I'm like, the cut-down shotgun is one of his whippet guns. So what does that mean? Does he, like, whip it out? That's that's what I'm thinking. Probably. That's, like, the first gun that he whips out. He whips it. The whippet, or English whippet, is a dog breed of medium size. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I, that's what I'm going to guess. Whip it. Like, he can whip it. Instead of it being, like, a small pistol, it's, like, shotgun. He's like, that he cut it. down small enough. He can whip it out. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So the group escaped the police at Joplin, but left behind most of their possessions at the apartment. This included Buck's three-week-old parole papers, a huge arsenal of weapons, a handwritten poem by Bonnie, and a camera with several rolls of undeveloped film. Police developed the film at the Joplin Globe and found many photos of Clyde, Bonnie, and W.D. Jones posing. They would also be pointing weapons at one another. Smart. Yeah, very smart. The Globe sent the poem and the photos over the news wire. This included a photo of Bonnie clenching a cigar in her teeth and a pistol in her hand, which is a very infamous picture. Mm-hmm. Another fun fact, Bonnie didn't even actually smoke cigars. She was just doing it for satire. <laughs> like, that's basically what these pictures were for to be funny. Nice. She's yeah. like, let me put this cigar in my mouth. Yeah, so I can look like a real gangster. A real gangster. A real G. So the gang of criminals became front page news throughout America as the Borrow Gang. The photo of Bonnie posing with a cigar and a gun became popular. Jeff Gwynn, in his book, Go Down Together, The True Untold Story of Bonnie and Clyde, noted, John Dillinger had matinee idol, good looks, and Pretty Boy Floyd had the best possible nickname. But the Joplin photos introduced new criminal superstars with the most titillating trademark of all, illicit sex. Clyde and... Oh, Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker were wild and young and undoubtedly slept together. Oh, for sure. 
The group ranged from Texas as far north as Minnesota for the next three months. In May, they tried to rob the bank in Lucerne, Indiana. Ooh. They robbed the bank in Okabina, Minnesota. They kidnapped Dillard Darby and Sophia Stone at Ruston, Louisiana. In the course of stealing Darby's car, this was one of the several events between 1932 and 1934 in which they kidnapped police officers or robbery victims. Hmm. They usually released their hostages far from home, and sometimes even gave them money to help them return home. What the fuck? Yeah. Stories of these encounters made headlines, and so did the ones that did not end so well. The Barrow gang did not hesitate to shoot anyone, whether it was a police officer or an innocent bystander. Other members of the Barrow gang who committed murder included Raymond Hamilton, W.D. Jones, Buck, which is Clyde's brother, and Henry Methvin. Eventually, the cold-bloodedness of their murders exceeded the entertainment of the public. They soon started to realize this wasn't all fun and games, and this would soon lead to their end. So they knew they were going to get caught. Well, they knew they were going to get caught eventually, or they were going to go out. Yeah, with a bang. Mm Mm-hmm. The photos... Oh, I said that already. Oh, no, I didn't. My computer dinged. Sorry. That's okay. The photos entertained the public for a time, but the gang was desperate and discontented. This was described by Blanche in a written account while she was imprisoned in the late 1930s. With her new notoriety, they couldn't live their day-to-day lives without being spotted anymore. Restaurants and motels became less secure, and they started to resort to campfire cooking and bathing in cold streams. Well, by this time, all of the news is getting out that they're, like, going around. All those pictures and stuff, and too. So, the whole country is, like, slowly starting to figure out who they are. Mm-hmm. With all of these five people in one car 24-7, definitely led to some arguing. Oh, for sure. W.D. Jones was the driver when he and Clyde stole the car belonging to Darby in late April. And he used that car to leave the others until June 8th. So he was gone for a couple months. He just left. Yeah. He's like, fuck you guys, I'm out here. Pretty much, yeah. Clyde failed to see the warning signs at a bridge under construction on June 10th. And this was after W.D. Jones had returned. So him and Bonnie were in the car near Wellington, Texas. And the car flipped into a ravine. Thanks. So this is where it gets kind of funky because people have two different versions of what possibly happened. Mm-hmm. So Bonnie either was doused with acid from the car battery under the floorboards, or there was a gasoline fire. But either way, Bonnie sustained third-degree burns to her right leg so severe that the muscles contracted and caused the leg to draw up. Oh, wait. Wait. Mm-hmm. It wasn't Clyde that drag- drug his leg. He had a limp. It, yeah. In the movie... Yeah, Bonnie was... It was Bonnie who they saw her heel prints and one of the prints dragged mm-hmm. because of the fire, yeah. right, I think. W.D. Jones observed, she'd been burned so bad none of us thought she was going to live. The hide on her right leg was gone from her hip down to her ankle. I could see the bone at places. Yikes. So, Bonnie could hardly walk now. She would either hop on her good leg or was carried by Clyde. There we go. Yep. I knew it was something like that. Yeah. They got help from a nearby farm family. Then kidnapped Collinsworth County Sheriff George Corey and City Marshal Paul Hardy. Then they left the two of them handcuffed and tied barbed wire to a tree outside Eric, Oklahoma. 
W.D. Jones, Bonnie, and Clyde rendezvoused with Buck and Blanche. They hid in a tourist court near Fort Smith, Arkansas, and there they nursed Bonnie's burns. Buck and W.D. Jones bungled a robbery. And if you don't know what bungled means, it's basically describing a task, saying it was carried out clumsily or incompetently. So they just... They fucked up a robbery. Yeah, they didn't do it very well. (laughs) No. During the robbery, they murdered town marshal Henry D. Humphrey in Alma, Arkansas. And at that point, they all had to escape despite Bonnie's injuries. So they had to just, like, drag her along with them. Yep. Even though she was in probably excruciating pain. Basically, yeah, if her bone was showing. Like, yeah. I, ouch. Mm-hmm. In July of 1933, the gang checked into the Red Crown Tourist Court. And this is south of Platte City, Missouri. It consisted of two brick cabins joined by garages, and the gang rented out both. To the south stood the Red Crown Tavern, a popular restaurant among Missouri Highway Patrolmen, and the gang seemed to go out of their way to draw attention. Blanche registered the party as three guests, but the owner, Neil Hauser, could see five people getting out of the car. He also noted that the driver backed into the garage, quote, gangster style, for a quick getaway. Makes sense. Blanche paid for their cabins with coins rather than bills, and she did the same later when buying five dinners and five beers. The next day, Neil noticed that his guests had taped newspapers over the windows of their cabins. So they couldn't be seen. Yeah. Blanche again paid for five meals with coins. Her outfit of Jodiper riding breeches also attracted attention. And Jodiper is a tight... <clears throat> they are tight-fitting trousers to the ankle where they end in a snug cuff and are worn primarily for horse riding. But mm-hmm. this wasn't typical attire for women in the area at this time. Gotcha. So it was very noticeable. People were definitely seeing her. Right. Paying attention to what she was wearing because yeah. it was unusual. For sure. Neil told Captain William Baxter of the Highway Patrol about the group. And this is an officer who also frequented the restaurant. Clyde and W.D. Jones went into town to purchase bandages, crackers, cheese, and atrophine sulfate to treat Bonnie's leg. And I kind of tried to look up what atrophine sulfate was or what it's used for, but I really didn't find, like, a whole lot. So, I couldn't really find... just, like... Well, I couldn't find what it was used for then. Oh, gotcha. Now it can be used... It's basically the eye drops that they use in your eyes to, like, dilate your eyes before eye exams. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it can also be used to treat an eye condition called amblopia, which are lazy eyes, and other eye conditions. Hmm. And it can also be used for treatment of nerve, ag- nerve agent poisoning and organophosphate pesticide poisoning. Hmm. So. Maybe they were just trying to find something that was going to yeah. help her leg. I mean, I was just thinking that it must have been used for something else back then, but I just couldn't find out what. Yeah. Mm. So the druggist contacted Sheriff Holt Coffee. Basically, the person that they tried to buy the atrophine Like modern-day pharmacist yeah. type person. He put the cabins under surveillance, and coffee had been alerted by Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas law enforcement to watch for strangers seeking those specific supplies. <laughs> the sheriff contacted Captain Baxter, and he called for reinforcements from Kansas City, including an armored car. Mm. They did have armored cars back then, apparently. Apparently. Sheriff Coffey led a group of officers toward the cabins at 11 p.m. to arm with a Thompson submachine gun. And this is also known as a Tommy gun. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do a little bit of backstory on a Tommy gun. Because 
a lot of people know what it is. It's a very famous gun. Mm-hmm. So it's a blowback-operated, air-cooled, magazine-fed, selective-fire submachine gun invented by the United States Army Brigadier General John T. Thompson in 1918. It was originally designed to break the stalemate of trench warfare of World War I, but was not finished until after the war ended. The Thompson saw early use by the United States Marine Corps during the Banana Wars, the United States Postal Inspection Service, the Irish Republican Army, and the Republic of China, and the FBI, following this Kansas City massacre. The Thompson became notorious during the Prohibition area, used as a signature weapon of various organized crime syndicates, like the Barrow Gang, Mm -hmm. in the United States in the 1920s. It was a common sight in the media at the time and was used by both law enforcement officers and criminals. The Thompson was widely adopted by the U.S. military during World War II and was used extensively by the Allied troops during the war. It was designated as the M1928A1, M1, and M1A1 during this time. More than one and a half million military Thompson submachine guns were produced during World War II, and it is the first weapon to be labeled and marketed as a submachine gun. The original fully automatic Thompsons are no longer produced, Numerous semi-automatic civilian versions are still being produced by the manufacturer Auto Ordnance. These models retain a similar appearance to the original, but have various modifications in order to comply with U.S. firearm laws. So, that was a little gotcha. bit of backstory on the Tommy gun. Tommy gun. Just thought it was interesting. Yeah. In the gunfight which ensued, the 45 caliber Tommy guns proved no match for Clyde's 30 caliber bar. The gun Clyde used... Oh, the gun that Clyde was using was stolen on July 7th from the National Guard Armory at Enid, Oklahoma. The gang escaped when a bullet short-circuited the horn on the armored car, and due to the fact the police officers mistook it for a ceasefire signal. So they got lucky. They got very lucky, apparently. And they didn't pursue the retreating gang's vehicle, so they just left him to it. So the gang had evaded the law once again. Buck had sustained a bullet wound that blasted a large hole in his forehead skull bone and exposed his injured brain. Oof. And Blanche was nearly blinded by glass fragments in both of her eyes. Yikes. The Barrow Gang camped at Dexfield Park, an abandoned amusement park near Dexter, Iowa, on July 24th. And Buck was sometimes semi-conscious. He even talked and ate, but his massive head wound and loss of blood were so severe that Clyde and W.D. Jones dug a grave for him. Yikes. Local residents noticed their bloody bandages, and officers then determined that the campers were the Barrow Gang. So they're just constantly being chased. Yeah, they're on the run all the time. Yeah. Especially at this point now. Yeah. Local police officers and approximately 100 spectators surrounded the group, and the gang soon came under fire. Clyde, Bonnie, and W.D. Jones escaped on foot. Buck was shot in the back, and he and his wife were captured by the officers. Buck died of his head wound and pneumonia after surgery five days later at King's Daughters Hospital in Perry, Iowa. For the next six weeks, the remaining gang went far from their usual area of operations. They went as far as Colorado, north of Minnesota, southeast to Mississippi. So they were, like, all over the place. Mm -hmm. They continued to commit armed robberies. They restocked their arsenal when Clyde and W.D. Jones robbed an armory at Platteville, Illinois, on August 20th. Robbing this armory, they acquired three bars, handguns, and a large quantity of ammunition. 
By early September, the gang risked a run to Dallas to see their families for the first time in four months. And W.G. Jones separated from the gang and went on his own way, continuing to Houston, because this is where his mother had moved. He was arrested there without incident on November 16th, and he returned to Dallas. Through the fall, Clyde committed several robberies with small-time local accomplices. At this time, his family and Bonnie attended to her considerable medical needs. On November 22nd, they evaded arrest while trying to meet with family members near Sowers, Texas. Dallas Sheriff Schmoot Schmidt, that is a tongue twister, Sheriff Schmoot Schmidt, Deputy Bob Alcorn, and Deputy Ted Hinton lay in wait nearby. As Clyde drove up, he sensed a trap and drove past his family's car. Schmidt and his deputies stood up and opened fire with machine guns and a bar. The family members in the crossfire were not hit. A bar bullet passed through the car, striking the legs of both body, 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 Clyde and Bonnie. <laughs> they escaped later that night. On November 28th, a Dallas grand jury delivered a murder indictment against Bonnie and Clyde for the killing of Tarrant County Deputy Malcolm Davis. This murder occurred early in the year, which was January to be exact, and it was Bonnie's first warrant for murder. Well... And that is where we're going to stop today. Oh. Okay. So. When we come back, we're going to talk about their final run. Their deaths. The aftermath. And anything else associated with it. So. What led up to them being. How they got caught. Mm Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah. Gotcha. All right, well. All right. If you aren't subscribed to our Patreon, go check that out. The link tree is in the description box. It's really not a description box. It's a show notes. Same thing. Pretty much. But if you want to check that out and want to be a part of our Patreon, we would really appreciate it. There's lots of cool stuff you can find on there. If you want to see videos of our podcasts that are completely raw, uncut, unedited, those will be on there. As Um, well as just regular versions of our the audio versions of our podcasts unedited and uncut as well Mm -hmm. we also are going to post one bonus episode every month which will be posted the sunday after this episode is up yep so the 13th yes and then two weeks after that we will be posting a mukbang yep and that will be on the patreon only so make sure you go subscribe to it so you can see those it'll be pretty fun also, all of our notes for all of our cases will be on there as well, on if you want to check those out and read them. See Even how though... our mind kind of works, how we lay out our stuff. Yep. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. So, we will see you guys in the next one. Oh, also, any of the pictures that you want to see, all of our socials are also on the link tree in the show notes. So, if you want to see the pictures, I'll be posting them on there. Yes. So Twitter, Instagram, probably Facebook. Yep. Maybe TikTok. So, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.